Again, that's Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse number 10. The Bible says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Father, I thank you for the service you gave us this morning. And I pray, dear God, that you'd meet with us afresh and new tonight, Lord God. Bound out any distraction and help us, dear God, that we would do that which is honoring to you. Father, I thank you for your love, dear God. And just pray again that you'd meet with us, that you'd save that soul nearest hell, and that you would help us, dear God. Forgive us of our sins, fill us with your spirit, and let everything be done for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So we're looking here, Paul's uh, attitude here is an attitude of desire. We're looking at those verses there. Verse 10, one of the deepest verses in all of Scripture as to what Paul's greatest desire was. His deepest desire, as we looked at this morning, uh, was to know God. He said that I may know Him. Uh, Talking about that close personal fellowship, that intimacy that he desired to have with God. Friends, that that, that was more important to him than any earthly gain, anything he could possibly attain or had attained previously. He counted but waste, but dung, but refuse there when when compared to knowing Christ there. Uh, When he talks about knowing Christ, as we talked about this morning there, that, excuse me, that term to know Christ, it was much more than just salvation. Right. For some, for some salvation that, that they have a, a uh, they say, preacher, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven, and, and that's that's all I want. I, I'm good enough with that, and that's that's where I'm fine with. If I stay in the same spot uh, for the rest of my life, there, as long as I'm going to heaven, that's good, friends. That type of mindset is a disgrace to God. When God has given us and offered us so very much when it comes to salvation, if all we have is being saved there, that is a disgrace to God. If we say all we want is just enough when God is offering us an abundance, we are spitting in the face of what God is offering there, spitting in the face of what God wants to do. Now friends, Paul said, I want to know Him. I want to know everything about Him. I want to draw closer to Him. I want His power. I want to be related to His sufferings. I want to be as close to God as I possibly can. Friends, that was His deepest desire. I want you to notice, secondly tonight, Paul talking about not only His deepest desire, but he is talking about uh, Paul's definite distinction in verse number 11 there. It says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The word attain there, it means to achieve, to accomplish. It means to secure, to win, or to earn there. Now I want you to notice he talks about the division in that attaining there. He said, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The word resurrection that is used in verse number 11 is a different Greek word from the normal that is used uh, many places in Scripture there. It does not speak of a bodily resurrection. Paul is not saying that I may attain a bodily resurrection there. That bodily resurrection is promised to every child of God. If you are saved one day, uh, that we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet Him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That resurrection is promised there. What he is talking about here, again, not a bodily resurrection, but he is talking about a separation. The word resurrection here that is being used there, 
What it literally means is to be brought out of something, to be pulled out of something there. And what he is talking about is an ardent, a passionate, a fervent desire to be brought out of anything this world has that would hinder him. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 there, Jesus said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which do us so easily beset us there. He's not talking necessarily about being brought out of a sinful condition. He's not talking about necessarily being brought out of something that is wrong. He is talking about being brought out of anything that hinders his walk with God. There anything, even a good thing, that keeps him from that best thing there, that close fellowship with God there. He's saying, let me be brought out. Let me be resurrected. Let me attain or win that resurrection. Be separated uh, from those things that might hinder me. What he was saying is, no matter what it is, if it keeps me from being what I need to be for God, let it be taken from you. Think about a runner. Many times when they train, someone that is, is uh, training for an Olympic race, they're a sprint there. Many times when they train, they will put a parachute on their back while they're training. That parachute is a weight that hinders them. It slows them down. Now it is used for a purpose. It builds them up. But when race time comes, that parachute is taken off and they run unhindered. What Paul is saying is anything that could possibly keep me from being the very best that I could be for God, anything that could hold me back, let it be taken from me, let me attain, let me win or achieve that resurrection to be called out, to be separated from. Friends, there are many good things in this world that hinder us from the best thing in our walk with Christ. There are many good things that, that take our mind and our energy and our time away from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not talking about it, it is not a sin to have a hobby. Uh, they used to tell us in Bible college all the time, come apart before you fall apart. Sometimes you need that separation. You've heard me say before, I'm not against anybody that wants to take a vacation. We need it in this day and time. It's a busy time. What I'm talking about is something in our daily lives that hinders us, something we know that is continual, something that is consistent, something that is a daily uh, job that we do or a task that we try to accomplish that hinders us from being available to the will of God. Paul said, let me attain unto that resurrection. Let me get to that place where I am completely separated away from it, where I am brought out from anything that would hinder me from that. He talks about that division in the attaining. He talks about the difficulty in the attaining there. In the first part of that verse, he says, if by any means there. Friends, that term, if by any means, speaks of the great difficulty. It speaks of how hard it is to accomplish that being set apart, that being pulled out of everything else. There. It is not a hard thing. It is not difficult because of ability. Okay? It is not a hard thing to be uh, put in that place there. Paul is not talking about the difficulty as far as ability. It's not one person that gets it because they're more talented than another person. Or, or one Christian gets it because they're physically stronger than another person. This has nothing to do with ability. The difficulty here has to do with the fact of what it requires. In order to be in a place where God can use us the way He wants to use us, it requires true sacrifice. It requires taking again, as we talked about this morning, uh, the very uh, uh, truest form and truest definition of when we think about it, we sing, I surrender all. Many times we sing that song, friends, it's one of my favorites. But many times we sing just the words without the meaning behind it. And we're saying, Lord, I'll surrender to a point. I'll surrender up, up until here. But once we get past that comfort zone, I don't want to go any further. 
That, that, that we pray, Lord, not my will, but thine be done in things that are comfortable to us. What Paul is talking about here is getting outside of that comfort zone, getting outside of anything, outside of any rights to ourselves, any claim to ourselves, any ability to ourselves. He said, Lord, I want to be right where you want me to be. If by any means, he said, if by any way I may obtain under that resurrection there. What Paul was saying is, whatever the cost. Friends, we better be very careful when we say something like that to God. We better be very serious when we say something like that to God, when we say, Lord, everything I've got is yours. Lord, here's my family. It's in your hands. Lord, here's my finances. Here's my faith. Here's everything I've got. It's in your hands. We better mean business with God. When we take vows like that, when we make promises to God, friends, those are very serious things. There. And Paul, what he is saying is, he's talking about the level of that difficulty again, not because it takes someone with a special ability, but because it requires so much sacrifice. What was it? When we think about the 11 apostles, 12 if you count the apostle Paul, what was it that made those men better than everybody else? Nothing. They were simply available. Now remember, God came. And we read about it in the book of 1 Corinthians 1, 26 down through 31. God chooses the weak things to confound the strong, the base things to confound the mighty. God takes the small things and overcomes the big with it. Why? So that God can get the glory for it, so that no flesh will glory in His presence. Those disciples, those apostles, were no different than any other regular man there. But friends, there was a sacrifice that was required there. Paul looked at Andrew and he looked at, and he looked at Peter and he said, leave behind the nets. He looked at James and John and he told them to leave behind their father, to leave behind that ship there and come follow him. There's a cost to it. There's a surrender to it. Paul, we talked about what he lost there, friends. He lost uh, his position as a Pharisee. He lost that, uh, that respect, that privilege, that prestige there. He lost that fame that he had, so to speak, there. He lost his family when they would have forsaken him. Going under the Gentiles, he lost his fortune. Uh, coming from a family of great means there, he gave all of that up and ended up in prison. Remember, Philippians is written from a jail cell. There's a cost to this thing. And Paul is talking about uh, that there is a definite distinction. There is something that sets apart regular everyday Christianity to someone who is fully surrendered. Remember the apostles again, going back to the apostles. There were 11 apostles. There were three that were a part of that inner circle. Peter, James, and John got to see some things that the others didn't get to see. Take it a step further and you have John who is called John the Beloved, the one in whom Jesus loved there. That's the only one referred to that. He is able to see things that none of the others had seen. That He was drawn closer. He's the one who had his head on the very chest and heard the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now friends, what set them apart was a willingness to sacrifice. They had that desire to be closer to God. They were willing to pay that cost for it. It cost us something. To serve God. Now friends, again, it is not ability. Not because of the ability. But it's because of what it requires. Any one of us, any one of us tonight, can reach that level of surrender. We can reach that level of intimacy and that level of fellowship with God. Any one of us, that door is open. You've heard me say this before. We have as much of God as we want tonight. We are as close to God as we want to be tonight. We have as much of Him as we desire. Friends, He is willing to give us. Uh, David said, My cup runneth over. The book of Ephesians says, Unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is able to meet the need. God is able to fill the heart. It is whether or not we are willing to allow Him to do it. 
Whether or not we're willing to pay that cost, there is that distinction that separates everyday Christianity from somebody that is effective and used for the glory of God. Man once came to D.L. Moody and told him, said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully surrendered to Him. D.L. Moody's answer, with the help of God, I'll be that man. Friends, that is a, a, a true commitment that it takes. We read about several of the missionaries and several of those who had to leave behind everything. They had George Mueller, one of the greatest uh, prayer warriors ever, one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest... Uh, he could pray and stop heaven. But George Mueller gave up prestige, gave up position. He, uh, when he was coming through uh, um, school there, when he, was, he had the opportunity, him and a friend had the opportunity to go and work uh, for a, a, a pretty um, substantial ministry there, and he would have been paid very well. But that's not where God wanted him to go. And he told that friend, he said, I'm sorry, I can't go with you, that friend. He said, what, what are you going to do? You're going to give up all this, uh, you know, you've got a guaranteed paycheck, so to speak, and you're going to give all of it up. He said, I've got to stay here. God has called me to the slums of England there. And God used George Mueller to start up that Sunday school, to start up that, uh, that work there. God George, uh, used George Mueller to start up those children's homes there. Friends, uh, uh, many homes with thousands of kids in there that were exposed to the gospel. Uh, was it easy? Absolutely not. Many times they'd pray over food they didn't even have. But God blessed and God rewarded and God used that man tremendously. I think about several of the missions that uh, missionaries that went over. Uh, one went over to India in particular, and uh, going to school. I believe it was Cambridge University there. Uh, going to Cambridge, there he went up to the uh, the professors. He went up to the older uh, reverends there, and he said, "God is calling me unto India." Their response to him was, "Let the heathen worry about themselves." They said, we're not going to back you together. He said, without you, I said, I'll, he said, I'll go with God and not with you if it's, if it's what it takes there. And he went to India and he took the gospel to him and translated the scriptures into 40 different languages there and reached millions for the cause of Christ. Friends, there's a cost to these things. There's a surrender it takes. But in that surrender, God is sufficient for every need there. Paul said that I might obtain, that I might get, if by any means I can get a hold of that resurrection and be called out and separated for God. Friends, we look around and we, we in our prayer rooms and our requests, we look around and we talk about how bad the world is getting. And we look about how, how great the need is and how desperate the need is in churches and all those things. My question is, what are we doing about it? We can't expect the loss to change. It's not something that is humanly possible. It is a divine nature that is placed in the heart of us and it comes only through the Holy Spirit of God, only through salvation, only through life, and that is our responsibility as far as getting the Gospel out to people. I know, please don't misunderstand me. We can't save anybody. That's not our, the, the results are not ours. That's God's. But it is our responsibility to make sure they get the gospel. Friends, Paul talked about his deepest desire. He talked about a definite distinction. And in verses 12 through 14, Paul talks about a driven, a driven determination. Notice several things tonight. We'll try, and be my, we'll try and be quick with these. I want you to notice, first of all, Paul's admission in the first part of verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already, made, uh, either were already perfect there. What we see here is Paul's great admission. It, it was a great statement of humility. I believe Paul to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, New Testament Christian. That is one, I mean, stands out in Scripture above and beyond just about anybody else. I mean, you read about Paul there. 
uh, the, the, the conversion that God did, the suffering He went through, the fact that He authored 13 of the 27 New Testament books of the Bible. I mean, this was a tremendous man of God. He is the reason today. If you're saved today, He's the reason as far as the, the instrument that God used. He took the Gospel to the Gentiles. He is the only Apostle to the Gentiles. Everyone else was Jewish-based. But here we come and He admits her. He said, not as though I had already attained. Not as though I had made it yet. I'm not perfect yet. I've not fully matured yet. There's still more to grow there. Friends, that is a tremendous admission there when God takes and works in the heart there and shows us that we still fall short. There's an old saying, the best of men are at best men. We still fall short of the glory of God every time. We still come, uh, without His help, we are absolutely unable to do a single thing there. And Paul's admission there, if he can come and say that he'd not obtained it, how much more should we? If he can come and say, I've not, I've not reached the goal yet, I've not crossed the finish line yet, how much more should we there, friends? What a tremendous, tremendous statement he made there, just saying not as though I had already obtained it. Friends, his admission, we see Paul's aim there, the second part of that verse there. He says, either we're already perfect, but I follow after, if that by, excuse me, if that, if that I may have apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus there. The word apprehend is, is a Greek word translated to appropriate. It means to take for oneself. What Paul is saying there is that he wanted to apprehend or he wanted to appropriate Christ. He wanted to take Christ for himself. Why? Because Christ had apprehended Paul. Christ had come to where Paul was and took him and saved him on that Damascus road and set him apart for a marvelous work that was to be done there. And because of that, Paul said, I want God to have every bit of me and I want to have every bit of Him. He said, he's got, uh, he goes on, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, the Greek word doulos there, bond slave. He said, I own nothing of myself there. He said, but because he saved me, because he paid such a great price, because he took me unto himself, he took me for his own purpose, I want to have every bit of God. Friends, do you realize tonight if you're saved that there is a calling on your life? You say, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, uh, a missionary, an evangelist, I'm not this, I'm not... You don't have to be. If you are a Christian, that means that God has saved you with a purpose. He did not save you to sit. Not a one of us can sit back and say, well, preacher, God doesn't want to use me in any way. Absolutely not. If you, were, if you had no purpose, you wouldn't be here today. If, you had, if God had no desire to use you, he would have took you home when He saved you. He's not in the business of wasting time on trials and, and, and building us and shaping us for nothing. Right? He's not training us and molding us and, and transforming us into the image of His Son there for no reason. Every one of us has a purpose. If your mission field is nothing more than your family, is nothing more than your neighborhood, then go out there and sow the seed of the Gospel and win as many as you can to Christ there. God's got a job for you to do. If all you, you say, preacher, I, I can't talk, I, I can't speak publicly, I can't do this, I can't do that. If all you can do is pray, then pray with all of your heart. If all you can do is hand out gospel tracts, then do it with every bit of your heart and pray over every one of those tracts before you hand them there or leave them somewhere that God will use it, that it will get into the right hands, that God will save somebody. Billy Graham was testifying one day down in South America. He was preaching a, uh, one of his uh, large crusades down in Brazil. The Surgeon General of that country came up and gave his testimony. And he said, I was saved 
because I was walking home one day and I realized there was something stuck to the bottom of my shoe. When I reached down and pulled off the piece of paper, I realized it was a gospel track. I read the track and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, think about what God can do today. Think about the way He can work. Friends, we look at some of these things as if they're insignificant. When we look at some of these jobs that God has given us as if they're not a big deal, friends, any job that God has given us is a big deal tonight. To think about the privilege that it is just to be used by God. Friends, that's the very Creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all that surround us. The great I Am has chosen to use you and me. Sinful, weak, ineffective, unperfect you and me. He's chosen us to use us. What a privilege that is today. No matter what capacity that's in. It is it's by God's grace. And Paul said, my aim, my whole aim, is that I can apprehend, that I can appropriate Christ, that I can take Christ for myself. Because He's taken me for Himself. Friends, you're not here for no reason. God, God doesn't make mistakes and there is no such thing as coincidence. God is sovereign. And if you're here, if there's breath in your body today, that is because God still has a desire to use you. That's an amazing thought tonight. His, and not only His admission and His aim there, but we see Paul's action in verses 13 and 14. We'll look at several things and we'll close with these verses. I want you to notice His focus there. So which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do there. We see his focus there when he says, I, I, I count not myself. I've not yet obtained Christ. I've not yet fully uh, taken Him unto myself. He said, but this one thing I do there. What, it is, uh, what that verse speaks of or what that phrase speaks of is Paul's mindset there. His only desire, the, the one thing that he desired was to grow in Jesus Christ. The one thing he desired was to know more about Christ, to have more of Christ, to be used more of Christ. Friends, you and I today, that should be our desire. It should be uh, every day we wake up. Friends, if you study that Bible, if you read that Bible, don't ever read it just to say, hey, I read a chapter this morning. Read it and say, God, show me something new out of this Scripture that I've not seen before. Help me to learn something that I can take to a lost and dying world. Friends, one of my favorite things when studying the Scripture, when I learn something new, is I will immediately get on the phone and, and call a preacher friend or I'll text a preacher friend or I'll write it down so I can share it with somebody else. Why? Because I want somebody else to grow closer to that thing. I want somebody else to be able to learn more about it. That, that stirs my heart to be able to take the Gospel and to share it in a deeper way with somebody. It ought to uh, encourage us when we can share that with somebody. Friends, His focus there was to learn and to grow more in Christ. When we pray, we, we've got to have it many times. And, and it's the, the little nursery rhyme prayers, that they have a place, they have a purpose. That's how we teach young kids how to pray. We teach them to start. It's a start. Right? But no adult, no Christian that's been saved any length of time should be praying those little nursery rhyme prayers. Right? We make the mistake sometimes of thinking that we have to sound very eloquent and that we have to know all the spiritual terms. Friends, that's, that's not what God is looking for. Right? You think about it, it talks about that relationship between a father and a son or a father and a daughter. Friends, if you were in need of something, if you had a desperate need of something and you had to come to your dad or your mom in desperation, you're not going to come and sound eloquent. You're not going to talk and try and get all the terminology right. You're going to say, listen, Mom, Dad, I need help. I, I, I'm in trouble. I, I need some help right now, please. 
You're going to plead with them earnestly, humbly, honestly. You're going to come to them and say, listen, there's no bones about it. I, I, I don't have any time to play around. I need your help there. That's the kind of prayer that we should have. Reverent, fervent, passionate prayer that says, Lord, I need something from you today. Sometimes we come in and we pray just to thank God. Friends, as, as, again, we go back to that relationship between a parent and child. Sometimes, so, uh, I'll tell you, the greatest thing a parent can get is just, just a simple, heartfelt thank you sometimes. You know, we don't expect our children to be able to pay us back for what we do to them. We can never pay our parents back for what they've done for us. But just that thank you, that, that appreciation, boy, it goes a long way when, when, when we come into God. We say, Lord, thank you for those answered prayers. Boy, that, that focus just drawing close to Him. Not only do we see uh, Paul's focus, but we see his forgetting there. Look at the second part of verse 13 there. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. What does that mean, forgetting those things which are behind? Friends, Paul is not talking about forgetting past blessings. It's not what he means. He is not talking about forgetting past failures that teach us lessons. Some of those past failures, as we talked about briefly this morning, some of those failures teach us better lessons than success ever could. It humbles us. It it teaches us a lesson, that, that hard lessons to learn, but lessons that we won't forget. What's he talking about? Friends, what Paul is talking about when he says forgetting those things are behind, he is talking about forgetting the things that hinder him going forward. Forgetting those things that bring guilt and those things that bring shame and those things that bring heartache and those things that would paralyze us from going forward there. He's talking about those things that we've confessed and that are under the blood there. Friends, you realize today that guilt is one of the devil's greatest tools that he uses against us. If you've confessed your sin, the Bible says that he has cast it behind his back. It will never be brought up again. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Friends, if it's under the blood, it's never going to be brought up again. If you have truly confessed that sin, and you are still struggling, and there is a, uh, a feeling of guilt and a feeling of, of uh, shame over that sin, understand something, that is not God doing it. It is Satan trying to pull you away. That sin, when it is confessed, is paid for. It's under the blood. It's not to be brought up again. Paul is talking about forgetting those things that would hinder there. He's talking about forgetting those things uh, that would keep him from being able to move forward there. You and I today, friends, many times the devil will keep us. Uh, he'll come whisper in our ear, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. If you were really right with God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't struggle with those thoughts or you wouldn't struggle with that thing. Friends, you realize Jesus Himself was tempted? Matthew 4 says Satan came and tempted Him not once, not twice, but three times. If He was tempted, how much more can we be? Friends, that guilt, it will bury us if we let it. It will stop us dead in our tracks. If you ever get to the place where you have a desire to do a work for God, and you hear in the back of your mind you're not worthy to do that work for God, best thing you can do is, is just go admit that thing. You know you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy to be used by God. It's grace. It's grace that saves us. It's grace that keeps us. It's grace that calls us. It's grace that gives us the ability and equips us to do what God's called us to do. Friends, it's not a, matter, a question of whether or not we're worthy. We're not. But it's a question of whether or not we're called by God and His grace to do it there. Friends, he said, I want to forget those things 
that would hinder me. I want to forget those things that would pull me away. Not only his focus and his forgetting, but his forwardness there. In verse 13 again he says, And reaching forth unto those things which are before there. Remember what he was saying there is Paul's past. What he was saying is my past is not going to determine my future. Paul was a murderer. Paul was a deceiver. He was a slanderer. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He was probably the greatest enemy the church has ever had. And yet God called him unto an awesome, awesome work. One of the greatest works that has ever been done. He could not have done that work if he was busy dwelling in his past. He said, I'm pressing forward. I don't care. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what your past is. You say, preacher, I'm saved. I'm forgiven by the grace of God. Friends, I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. We're going to press forward with this thing. That's God's grace today. It took the same amount of grace to save you as it did me, as it does the drunk or the drug addict, as it does the harlot, as it does anybody else. And that past is forever behind. Let me give you an example. When we look at Rahab the harlot in the Bible, you know, every place in Scripture that name is ever mentioned, it is always, she's always called Rahab the harlot except one place. You say, preacher, where is that? Where she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It does not call her, when she is listed with Christ, it does not call her the harlot. It just simply says Rahab. Why? Because she is made perfect and she's put in that family of God and God is recognizing her as righteous in Jesus. Friends, your past does not have to follow you around. Your past does not have to dictate your future. It can be a testimony of God's grace. So he said, pressing forward there, his forwardness. We see also his fervency in verse 14. He said, I press toward the mark there. The word press, it speaks of tenacity. It speaks of a determination that just won't quit. Paul said, no matter who persecutes me, no matter who talks about me, no matter if they throw me in prison, no matter if they take away my freedom, no matter if they take my life, he said, I'm not going to stop. I will preach Jesus till my last breath. That's the tenacity that we need today. Friends, you think about, uh, we, we think about professional athletes. You see the mindset of that athlete. Uh, you see that, that championship quarterback when he gets out there and the game is on the line. He wants the ball in his hand. He wants that thing. He wants the weight of that thing on his shoulders. Why? Because there's a tenacity within him that says no matter what, I'm going to get my team down there and we're going to win this game. Friends, we need that kind of tenacity for Christ today. We need it that says no matter what, I'm going to finish the work that God has given me to do. No matter what, I'm going to keep on pressing forward. No matter what, I'm going to keep on serving the Lord Jesus Christ until I don't have any breath left in my body. That's the kind of determination we need today. Paul said, I press toward the mark. We see that at forwardness. We see also his feet. He said, toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Say, so, preacher, what's that high calling? Was it, was it a specific calling? Friends, what he's talking about is God's will for our life. No matter what God's will is for your life, it is a high calling. Because it is a calling that allows us to be used by God. Friends, you've heard me say it before, and I mean this with all my heart. I don't care if the only thing you can do is hold a door open and welcome people into this church. Do it with every bit of your heart. Look at it as a ministry and not just a job. Because there could be somebody that has gone to a hundred different churches and received a cold shoulder. 
and walked out with a bad testimony. There, it could be somebody that doesn't fit the mold or look the part and they've been, they, they weren't welcomed into the house of God. And, and, and this could be the last place they stop. They say, I'm going to give it one more shot. One more try, and, and uh, if this is it, I quit on God, I'm quitting on church. And they could come in here, and they could receive a, a heartfelt uh, smile and a handshake that says, hey, we're glad you're here. We appreciate you being here. We're glad you've come to this church. And people can tell when you're sincere. People can tell when you're putting on a show or when your heart is right there. And if they see that truth in you, that's a high calling because you're doing it for the glory of God. Anything that we do today for the glory of God is a high calling. Anything we do that gets us out of the way and the focus is not getting us praised but is getting God praised, that is a high calling tonight. It's not just talking about... Paul wasn't just talking about the fact of being an apostle or being a preacher. He was talking about the fact of being a servant of Jesus Christ. Every one of us is a servant. If we're saved today, every one of us has a high calling on our life there. He talks about his focus. He talks about his forgetting, his forwardness, his fervency, his feet. Last of all tonight, he talks about his favor there. What was the purpose of it? He said, the high calling of God, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's our prize tonight? Why do we serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, it, it ought never to be for a paycheck. Right? I can stand behind this pulpit and I can tell you honestly that I do not preach for a paycheck. I don't care what the church down the street is offering pay-wise. I don't care what their, uh, their, their benefits package is. That's not my church. That's not my calling. This is. And I'm going to be here and serve until God moves me. And I hope He doesn't move me. That's not, we're not worried about the, the, the paycheck. We're not worried about, friends, if, if your prize is the praise of man, Jesus said it best. He said, if you, if you do what you do for the praise of God, you've got your reward. Yes, it goes no further. Our prize that he is talking about are those eternal rewards. Friends, you realize everything, everything that we earn today, it's going to be left behind. Right? Everything we have today, and again, you've heard me say this before, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with a retirement. We should, we should plan on those things. We should be good stewards of what God's given us. But don't let that be your prize. Don't let that be your ultimate goal. I've preached many funerals. I've never seen anybody take anything with them. We're going to leave it all behind. It's going to go to somebody else. Everything we own, every possession we have is going to be left here. But those eternal rewards, they come with us. Paul was saying his deepest desire, his, his ultimate goal, is to know Christ here, to know Him as close as he can here, and ultimately to know Him as He's known when He gets to heaven. And his ultimate goal was to be able to earn those prizes, those crowns, that he could lay down at the feet of Jesus. Friends, I'm telling you, when we get to, stay, when we get to heaven, and we see our Savior face to face, and we fall flat on our face, and we uh, fall down in worship and in adoration, and we uh, see Him, and that breath is literally taken out of our body, and we're all struck at the sight of Jesus. Friends, wouldn't it be nice to have one of those crowns to lay down at His feet? Wouldn't it be nice to have something to put at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe there are going to be many, many Christians who are going to be spiritually bankrupt when they stand before God. Many of those Christians, friends, I'm going to go ahead and say this and I say it without apology. 
If you're one of those that is happy with just salvation, you're going to be spiritually bankrupt when you stand before God. You won't have a single thing to lay at His feet. But if you're one of those that says, Lord, I, I want more of you tonight. I want to know you more. Lord, I want to serve you in any capacity that you want me to serve. Uh, Lord, I, I count the, that uh, the, the work you've given me to do as a high calling. I, I, I count all those things. Lord, I, I don't want to be distracted with my past. I want to press forward. And Lord, I want to be called out of this world. I don't want anything to tie me down to serving you. That's what God's looking for tonight. That and that alone is what will take us to a deeper level of devotion when it comes to Christ. Paul, what went when? When the disciples were called out, when the apostles were called out, Jesus called them and He said, you've got to forsake those things. They had to leave behind. James and John had to leave behind their daddy's ship. Now that, that boat there, that was, their, that was their livelihood. That was their source of wealth. That was what they knew. That was their trade. Paul said, uh, Jesus said, leave it behind. I'm going to make you fishers of man. All those things, friends, we've got to be willing to lay down anything that ties us to this world. Put it at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, here am I, Lord, send me. What about us tonight, friends? What's our greatest desire? What is it that is our ultimate goal in life? If it is anything less than serving the Lord, friends, doesn't mean you won't make it to heaven. If you're saved, you're going. But it will affect what we have to give in heaven. It will affect our, our stance in heaven. It will affect uh, the, the place that we are allowed to, to serve in heaven. I don't know about you, but I sure do want everything that God has for me. I, I want to know more about Him. I, I want to know. I want to be able to take this Bible and I want to be able to share the Lord Jesus Christ intimately and personally. Friends, I, I promise I'll close with this. Give me just a minute. It's one thing we can say we know about the president. Okay, We know about him. We know who he is. But I can't walk into the Oval Office and sit down and talk with that man. I can't come up there and shake hands. I can't ask him intimate details about his family. I don't know him that way. It's one thing to know about Jesus. But it's completely different when we know him personally and intimately and we can share him with other people. It, it, that, that intimacy, that, that, that personal relationship and fellowship is what allows us to share Him in a way that's effective with others. When we can come and we say, well, it, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, the Bible says this, that's, that's good. We should know what the Bible says. And the Bible is our ultimate authority. But when we're sharing Him with somebody else, we've got to be able to share Him personally. We've got to be able to testify of God personally in our lives to be able to be effective. That's what God is looking for. Somebody that knows Him. That's what the world... Friends, the world knows about Jesus. Everybody knows about the name of Jesus. But do you know how many people have a, a misconception? Even people that have been raised in church, how many people have a misconception of who Christ is? Many people look at Christ as, as some, uh, some tyrant, some dictator that, that just wants to... to, to Grab a hold of them and tear them up every time they step up. Friends, He's a loving Father. He's gracious. He's merciful. His greatest desire today is not that we, uh, is not that we build the biggest church or we have the most money or we give this. His greatest desire is that we spend time with Him. As He told Mary, he said, as He told Martha, He said, Mary's desired the greater thing and it won't be taken away from her. 
What about us tonight, friends? What's our greatest desire? I hope it's to know Him personally, to know Him more. To say, I, I, I've, I, I'm, I'm attaining Christ. I'm appropriating. I'm, I'm taking Him to myself for the purpose of sharing Him with others. Friends, isn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? It's available to us if we're willing to stay and, and spend time with Him. Let's all stand in that heads bowed and eyes closed.